Welcome to Grace Point Direct, a place where we can dig a little bit deeper into the topics and conversations that will help our church build the kingdom of God in Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Taylor Wood. We have recently had the unique opportunity to sit with renowned author and speaker Caleb Kaltenbach. Caleb is a research pastor at Shepherd Church in Los Angeles and the founder of the Messy Grace Group, where he helps churches love and foster community with LGBTQ individuals without sacrificing theological convictions. He's the author of Messy Truth, God of Tomorrow, and Messy Grace, where he discusses being raised in the LGBTQ community, following Jesus, and how loving others doesn't require shifting beliefs. Caleb and I got the opportunity to sit down and answer a few questions. Um, and let me say, um, Caleb uh, spoke eight different sessions, uh, if I'm counting correctly, over the last 48 hours at our church and has completely poured into uh, the people who have come into the room and made himself available. And I'm so appreciative of this. Uh, before we get into this podcast, because I'm sure the title alone uh, drew you in a little bit to click, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to spend time in prayer before we really dig into this episode. We haven't done this before, and maybe we should do it a little more uh, after this, but um, I want you to literally press pause um, on this episode. And when you do, I want you to um, spend time in prayer. I want you to pray just for two things. Uh, It can be quick, it can be long. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. Um, But I want you to pray for two things. I want you to pray for number one, um, our church's influence in our community Uh, with people who are marginalized. This is not only LGBTQ people, this is uh, all marginalized people, uh, socioeconomic, uh, racial, uh, anything, marginalized people in our community. And number two, I want you to pray for your own heart. I want you to pray that you're open and receptive and that the Holy Spirit would teach you something new. So go ahead and press pause and then whenever you hit play again, we'll be in our conversation with Caleb Kaltenbach. Caleb, thanks for being here, and uh, we're going to kind of jump right in. I want to talk a little bit about uh, this past weekend. So um, as of right now when we're recording, uh, you have spoken twice Sunday morning to the church, and then you've had a Sunday uh, evening session, and then three session Monday morning, and then you're coming back for around, uh, seems like 17 here. Yeah, around um, 17. And by the way, I appreciate you guys inviting me out before it starts snowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Right. And I appreciate that. That You don't want to go all those rounds and then get stuck here. That wouldn't be... Uh, yeah, I don't want the ice. Right. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It wouldn't be snow. Be the yeah, ice, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, uh, I, have, I just have some questions here, and Wherever the conversation leads us is, is going to be great. Cool. Uh, we have some leftover um, uh, questions and things that we're going to get to that are from the Sunday night session that you did here at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, some of this where I want to start, I'm hoping to pull up, um, really frame what our expectations of our conversation is here. Right. And so one of the first questions I have for you um, is, as uh, a speaker or just you yourself, how do you view yourself uh, within the LGBTQ plus and and church combination, uh, com- uh, the whole conversation between these two communities of people. Um, what, what do you, how do you see yourself? Um, are you a bridge in that? Um, do you kind of see yourself as an activist for any particular uh, topic within that whole larger conversation? Um, I guess kind of framing, what do you see yourself um, as your, what, what your task is, I guess, you know, what are you trying to get accomplished? Um, as your God called um, job here? Yeah, well, I, 
I felt the call in the ministry actually when I was 16, a, a week to the day that I was baptized and accepted Jesus. I mm. felt this call into ministry, and I thought it was just preaching. Mm. And um, d- preaching definitely does have a big part to do with what I uh, do with churches and schools and ministries and so on and so forth. Um, but really, what I have always been laser focused on my whole ministry, and this is no exception, is the whole idea of um, how can I help people take their next step towards Jesus? Hmm. Whether it's a first step towards Jesus, whether they're not following him yet, but it's another step that way, or whether they've been following him for years. And right. how, because everybody has a next step they need to take. And so there are a lot of individuals and families who are suffering because of uh, the conflict, the misunderstandings, and uh, some of the deceptive uh, elements wrapped in identity within the LGBTQ conversation. And so I think that um, that's one way that I help. I help people to take their next steps. You know, I I don't know that I would um, think of myself as an activist. I definitely think of myself as a pastor and just also as a concerned human being, a parent, a husband, and somebody that wants to see families to become more healthy. And I want people to uh, become more healthy. And I think that because I grew up in the LGBTQ community, and now I am obviously in the uh, evangelical or uh, conservative circles of churches, whatever you want to call it, I, I feel like I've had my feet in both worlds. And so I can kind of be somewhat of a bridge. There are people that have had different experiences that I have had, but not too many. I don't know of too many other people that have had similar experiences who are also pastors. Mm, so right. I feel like that's something that I can bring to the table. Right. I think that's important uh, to point out as we're moving forward and kind of talking about this because um, it seems like your perspective is something that churches would really very much be interested in because a lot of, especially church leadership, but honestly, organizational leaders all over the world are having to broach topics in about LGBTQ plus uh, inclusion and, uh, you know, what do we do with this situation, this one, and having people who actually have experience that um, are trying to help narrate the conversation is a very valuable, valuable tool, it seems like. I think it's a very valuable tool because experience is one of the biggest ways that we can be more empathetic. Right. Um, right. It, it's not that if you don't have personal experience with something, that doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. It doesn't mean that your voice doesn't matter, and it doesn't mean that you can't grow to empathy, but you mm. kind of have a fast track to understanding right. uh, maybe where people are coming from or getting closer to understanding certain people. Right. Um, again, there are people who have had more personal experiences with the LGBTQ reality than I have. But at the same time, as I said before, I I feel like uh, my contribution to this area is very much, um, uh, it's it's a very narrow uh, niche or niche or whatever (laughs) area, corner of the conversation. Because again, uh, there are some people that focus more on their testimonies or some people that focus more on uh, ministry uh, sorry, on uh, apologetics or biblical right. studies, right. theology, I focus more on ministry right. and relationships because I think that that's where uh, the bulk of our life takes place. Right. Uh, and I'm, uh, this is what I want to start, why I wanted to start here, because um, if I could be frank, I think a lot of people go into any, any conversation with someone who had experience uh, with the LGBTQ uh, plus community that doesn't uh, maybe have experience themselves 
and also know this individual is a believer automatically assumes that the conversation is going to instantly go to, well, here's how you convince someone not to be gay and to be a Christian. Right. right. It's strictly how do we convert? How do we convert? And how you have, have started things and even your previous um, content that, you know, different books and things that you've put out. Um, I'll just kind of kind of brief over this weekend, if, if you will, and you can stop me and, and change anything I'm saying. But here's what I've heard mm-hmm. uh, coming from Sunday morning. Uh, just a few things. Um, I love that you started out Sunday morning talking about how, in general, our society and even churches um, have an inappropriate focus on sex and marriage. I'm, I put the word inappropriate in there. I did not hear you say in the word inappropriate. I, but I, I, I agree with out you. Out of bounds, right? Of yes. some sort. Like it just uh, uh, an obtuse, maybe, um, you know, viewpoint on that, uh, a fixation, mm-hmm. uh, uh, oddly. Um no one's ever died from uh, not having sex. I, thought, I think that's a, a, a great uh, quote there. Uh, another one. Um, I love one of your sub points from yesterday. Uh, think deeply about people and not differently about your theology. Uh, if I hopefully grabbed that one correctly. But mm. um, I love that. Uh, deeper about people, people not different about theology. Um, another one. Uh, what are you willing to do? Um to build or maintain influence with this person. Now you're talking about, um, uh, th- I think this more came out of this morning session. Just um, how are you going to treat someone that of, of this different influence, th- uh, this different opinion, this different lifestyle in order to build influence with them, not just prove your point or something. Um, I like this one too from yesterday. Who's you, who's we are dictates who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that speaks not only to a believer who would say, well, I belong to Jesus, but that also uh, speaks to any person, really. I mean, because all of us are um, are captivated by something, right? right. So whose we are dictates who we are. Um, and uh, I think another one that I want to kind of now mention and, and move into a question would be, um, you said that everyone is sexually broken, so like this is that was it was a quick little uh, a comment kind of during the the discourse of things. But um, what do you mean by you feel like everyone is sexually broken? Yeah, that, that's a great question, and it, it's obviously a very personal one for different people. Sure, a lot of times um, w- people who uh, consider themselves perceive themselves to be sexual in the sexual minority group or sexual minorities. Uh, they can feel like uh, other individuals think that they are the only ones who are broken or different or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I don't know if if you know heterosexual people try to make people feel like that. I don't think so. Uh, maybe some do, but I, I I think most people don't. But at the same time, um, the reason why I say I think everybody is sexually broken is number one because it's true. Um, sin has permeated every aspect of our world mm-hmm. from our topography to our, um, to our thoughts, to our minds, to our selfishness, to our bodies, to our DNA, to everything. And so that means that it has impacted our sexuality. Mm. Um, I mean, think about it. Uh, there's re- I mean, if everybody followed Jesus's sexual ethic, our lives would be different. My, our world right. would be different. There'd be no sexual trafficking. Right. Of anyone, right. there'd be no sexual slavery. There would be um, uh, people wouldn't use sex as power to control other people. There wouldn't be molestation. There wouldn't be abuse, so on and so forth. But everyone, to some degree or another, uh, is sexually broken because of sin. The other reason why I say it is because that built that it be, not only because it's true, but it also establishes a common denominator. 
where right. before a lot the, a lot of the complaints and and rightfully so from some LGBTQ people would point the finger and would say you think you have your life all together you think you are 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 have everything put together when it comes to sexuality but you're going to lecture me on that and that's just not true right i mean right, yeah. and and unfortunately how many countless examples even recently like of leaders unfortunately like Rabbi Zacharias and mm. so on and so forth who right. have uh, been outspoken about things like uh, same-sex relationships so on and so forth and then they are found to you know their own sexual brokenness is right. revealed I still remember when Ted Haggard um, mm. that came out about him and Bill Hybels and just right. so yeah. many things and I just think to myself if 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 pastors and Christians cannot accept the fact after all of this that everyone is sexually broken then that's an issue of pride yeah absolutely uh, and it's something to remember that it's something that we were even talking about when we were um, planning this series that we're in messy Jesus right now is that um, this could this whole conversation uh, easily gets captured by the mindset that this is about um, you know, gay and lesbian people like that this is what we're addressing. And it's not what we're addressing. We're addressing our own personal brokenness always right. first, but our own personal brokenness in the narrative even of uh, sexuality, because we're all dealing with some sort of thing that, you know, are we, are we really going to sit here in the posture and say, no, 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 I've got it figured out. I've, I've got my, I don't need to do any, I don't need to be any holier in the area of sexual, my sexual mindset. Now, I don't, I don't think anyone could even listening to this podcast could, could say that. And that's really where we wanted to even be, um, in planning this series. Um, so I'm going to jump into kind of the deeper end of maybe some, uh, um, uh, some of the conversation here. Um, in your experience, and I know that this is subjective, but in your experience, um, who, sorry, in your experience with Christians who would sexually identify as straight, uh, do you feel that people genuinely want to see the LGBTQ plus community come to Jesus or stop being whatever it is that they've identified with being? And a little bit of a loaded question. No, it's a little question, and you're asking really good questions. So I think that as people get to be more mature in their faith, straight Christians, I mean everybody in general, but specifically we're talking about straight Christians, as they get to be more mature in their faith, I believe that they finally realize that the whole point is not to change orientation, it's to introduce people to Jesus, mm. it's to help people yeah. become fully sold out followers of Jesus Christ. Right. Um, and I think that as we, as we grow, we realize that. Sure. And it doesn't mean we don't have difficult conversations about holy living. It means that we surrender any notion that we can change people. Right. Um, now that's what I think about as, as, as straight Christians become more mature. But I think that straight Christians who are not mature or they are culturally Christian, or they try to blend their politics and their, hmm. Um, their faith or they try to blend the latest trends in their faith. I really right. believe that um, these individuals want people to change because they will feel more comfortable being around them. Oh yeah. And they have themselves as the main motivation for the other person changing. Right. And um, to me, that's just selfish. That's rude. That is just not even really caring about another person. You're basically right. trying to help another person and to leverage what you can do for them for your own benefit, right. not for the glory of God. 
And so for me, I've found that a lot where a lot of people will talk about behavior modification and what they're really talking about. And that's one of the reasons why behavior modification is so um, dangerous without devotion, without a relationship. The reason why behavior modification is so dangerous is because basically you're telling somebody else you need to change because you make me feel uncomfortable. Right. And so you need to acclimate to me. And that is not for the glory of God. That's for that other person's benefit. Right. So let's assume, though, that we are talking to um, a believer who's uh, kind of pure hearted in that uh, maybe they have a loved one um, that identifies as trans, gay, bisexual, intersex, uh, any of the things that we talked about this morning. Um, And they genuinely want that person to know Jesus. Like, you know, that's like this is the individual, let's say that they they just they see Jesus as the answer. They know that Jesus is the answer to all of our um, all of our sin problems outside of sexual things, even right. the Bible is really clear about turning from uh, sin whenever you're accepting Christ. Uh, it's very clear about the, the um, idea of giving yourself to Jesus, and that includes all of us. So is there any responsibility for um, what I would call the discipler, so the person who uh, has the loved one, the, the believer that's generally reaching out with the gospel, maybe trying to, to um, influence this other person? Um, is there any responsibility for that person to just – to only talk about accepting Jesus Christ without addressing that sin, you know, without addressing the individual thing that may be keeping them from conversion. Yeah, I think that's, uh, again, I'll, I'll quit saying that's a great question because all of your questions are really, really good here. Um, I, I'm not going to punt, as some people say on this, <laughs> but I will say this and then I'll uh, not punt. So yeah. I guess I'm punting and then not punting. But uh to some degree, and I'm sure you would agree that this is subjective depending on the person you're dealing with. Sure, absolutely. And depending yeah. on the relationship mm-hmm. and how well you know the person. Right. Now, let's say that you know the person well. Let's say that, let's just say for argument's sake, just to make it a little bit more spicy, you know the person well, you know um, they know you and, and that kind of a thing. Number one, they already know what you think. <laughs> right. So you want to be careful not to beat them over the head with stuff you've already told them. Uh, you know, which would be I, annoying in any conversation. Which would be annoying in any conversation. <laughs> like, I'm a Star Wars fan, and I cannot tell you how many morons there are in the Star Wars <laughs> universe who try to explain things to you from their point of view as if you don't know anything about Star Wars. But that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> we can do. Um, but when it comes to this, I do think that there are times, you know, when you do have to have these conversations, especially um, if, uh, if, if a particular um, desire of another person, a devotion a person has to another person, Mm -hmm. or maybe even codependency. You know, if that is keeping them from following Jesus, then you have to address that. Mm. And I think you can address it in such a way, and and, and that might even have to do with, um, you know, maybe their same-sex relationship, but I would... I would, it probably, especially the younger the person, it probably has more to do with their friends Mm. and it probably has more to do with their community. Right. And so there are times when you do have to have a conversation, especially with students. You know, one of the things I've told, you know, parents when they're, you know, when kids have come out to them and maybe their kids really aren't gay, but they've come out as such to their parents or they've come out as bi. um, One of the things that I have told parents before I've asked about the kids' community, what's influencing them. Um, sometimes their kid will be a Christian, sometimes not, you know. And there are some times when 
they have to remove their kid from that community somehow. Mm. And to me, that's a last resort, but sometimes you have to. Because And the younger the kid, the more important this is. Because here's the thing. You can't change your kid's mind. You can change their setting. Sure. Yeah. And I want, you know, if it was my kid, for instance, I would want them to be in a setting right. where their heart was more in the place to be able to hear Jesus. And it wasn't being hardened by a bunch of people around them. Right. And so in that sense, yes, we have to have difficult conversations with people some of the times ahead of them even accepting Jesus. Right. I don't think that's always the case, but it is sometimes the case. Does that make sense? It, yeah, sure. I think that it, it's good to be aware of the fact that sometimes it, it, it's the sin in our life. It's that one thing that even for any of us draws attention to the fact that we are broken. Right. And so it's not going to be it's not it's not going to be part of the conversation. It's going to be a part of the conversation probably from the very beginning, just due to the nature that it's a pretty big hot topic in general. And no, so absolutely. You're going to be talking about this anyways. Right. And yeah. so I, I preached a sermon one time on surrender. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I said was um, that you are only as strong as that which you refuse to surrender to God. Mm, yeah. Whatever it is, because again, I seriously believe that our lives, you know, of course we enjoy God and we have joy in him and there's a lot of love and there's so many good things about being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Even though it is difficult, it is not easy. Right. Um, it's one of the toughest things in the world. But part of what makes that tough is I really do believe that the Christian life is, and our sanctification, our growing in Christ is continual surrender. Right. And... Surrender doesn't get easier. The older you right. get, oh, gosh, <laughs> the longer you've yeah. been a Christian, it does not get easier. And right. even as a parent, I'm sure you're a parent, I don't know if you are, but even as a parent, um, there have been times with my kids, um, even with small things, where I find myself, you know what, I need to let him or her make that mistake, and I just need to give it to God. And right. I need to, and that's hard as a parent, because I want to rescue my kids. I do right. not want them to right. make dumb decisions, but... Right. That's how I learned, you know, I mean, does that make sense? No, absolutely. It it does. Um, I think if, as I'm looking at this with, on the parenting aspect of it, um, which we are going to shift to later because we're going to prep up, I get prepped for tonight because we have a big session, big sessions for last night, but you know, segues, you got to get the segues in there. Yes. But, um, as I look at the parents, I think it's just a, uh, you know how it is whenever you, you're confronted with that parenting moment that you weren't prepared for and that, that that internal gut feeling um, of oh crap what I do with this and our normal reflex is normally no <laughs> or don't or stop right. um, I don't know like give me time or something you know and so I think really we're just talking uh, as I'm looking at that I think I would like to see um, in the specific conversation of maybe um, a kid coming out to a parent or a kid um, being inquisitive even about this. Um, it doesn't have to be this automatic hyper alert situation. It's a lot like any other situation when parenting, you say, okay, so what are we dealing with here? Okay. What's your questions? Let's talk about this. Let's get some facts and hear what you actually think and what you actually know. Instead of, I think a lot of parents would immediately kind of be like, especially believers, you know, Christian parents would immediately be like, Oh my word, what are we going to do with this? They want to control the situation. Right. Right. They want control. And I think one of the things that I've, that marriage and parenting has taught me one of the many things is how little control I really have in life. (laughs) Right. Like, as a matter of fact, the only thing I can control and I can only control myself so much because if we're going to be honest, we don't know ourselves as well as what we think we know. Right. Um, I, I, in my life, and as I look at it, I can only control 
myself. God holds me responsible for my decisions and my actions, right. not for somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And so that is always difficult to learn and to live out. And it is definitely true with kids. Right. Um, and there are some senses in which you do have to take control, but especially, you're right, parents do freak out. And um, I, I tell parents all the time, you know, the human brain is not done developing until the age of 25, or in my case, the age of 40 or whatever. <laughs> whatever hum- next year is. Whatever next year is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the human brain is not done developing. Therefore, when students will say things, um, or your kids will say things, uh, do not fly off the handle. Mm. You know, just ask questions, relax, and right. trust that God loves your child more than you do. Right. You know, oh, wow. yeah. way more. You have a great ally in God. And I would even say for people who are parents or people who are parents, but they're dealing with this in other aspects, whether it's your friend, it's your coworker, it's your family member, um, you have got to surrender to God in whatever way seems pleasing to you you've got to surrender this notion that you can control the other person Mm -hmm. you cannot but you can choose to be a good influence in their life yeah so why would we expect that we could enter into this conversation which is culturally a hot topic it's something that a lot of people aren't um, really equipped and have tons of experience and exposure to when maybe we haven't handed that surrender over in other areas of our life that are much easier to do so oh yeah i have a whole chapter in messy truth um, devoted to measuring your character, mm. you know, especially after all seeing all the Christian leaders recently that, you know, their, uh, moral baggage has been brought to the table. Um, you know, I decided to write a chapter on how do you measure your character to see if you have the credibility to walk with somebody, right. because we can walk with somebody through something like this as they're, um, uh, perceiving their next step with Jesus as they're thinking about their own sexuality or gender mm-hmm. identity. But if we're struggling with something, and then we end up falling, that's really going to hurt that person. Right. And we don't want to put them in a situation where that happens. So I think you're, right. you, I think you're ahead of your time there, man. And character in this conversation counts more than what we know. Mm. Um, I'm going to hard shift a little bit here. Uh, I, I want to ask a question this way, and then I'll, I'll kind of draw out how we normally ask it. But um, in a lot of conversations, the words gay people so you on your listening i'm quoting this air quoting gay people and then the word christians also heart uh, air quoted are two terms that are used separately to describe individuals um are these two terms at all able to be in harmony with one another so that's my uh, like workaround way of asking what would be a really normal i think question you've probably gotten quite a bit which is can you be gay and be a christian yeah but i wanted to ask that because i heard some of the, the some of the conversations i've heard over the, in the last couple of weeks preparing for this I, I noticed that these two terms are exclusive from one another in most people's minds, just based on how we use them. Right. Um, that maybe there's not, there's not enough education around, is it possible? Maybe I should be use more qualifiers. Maybe, um, gay Christian is a word or, you know, like, but gay and Christian, those two words seem to be in opposition of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think many things and Christian would be <laughs> in opposition to each other. That's, yeah. um, I think it was, I think it was last night when I was talking about this, I, I don't particularly like any adjective that modifies the word Christian, you know, because yeah. I've in the last 18 months, I've heard people call themselves, well, I'm a Republican Christian. Mm. It's like, well, actually, you're a Christian who happens to be a Republican. Right. 
Like, I think that's a better There's way. There's no quicker than, person that I'm going to get out of a conversation with probably that's a yeah. Republican Christian or a Democratic yeah, Christian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> once, you, once you politicize the name yeah. Christian, it's like, well, see you later. Right. Big gulps, huh? Yeah, yeah, big, you're, yeah. You're, you're, you're out. Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm the same way with you. Now, when it comes to gay Christian, um, on the one hand, I understand why some people don't like um, those two words going together. But sure. on the other hand, I can understand why some people do. Hmm. Um and to me, it's not really a sin issue, but it's something that we need to keep in mind. What what does it communicate to society around us and to people around us? Like, even that word means different things to different people. Like, for instance, th- those two words, like gay Christian, to my friend Matthew Vines or Justin Lee, they would say, I'm a gay Christian. And, they inter- and, and what they mean by that is they are fine with being affirming, and they believe that the Bible affirms same-sex relationships. Then there are other people who will, you know, like Wesley Hill or Nate Collins, or you have some other people who will say, I'm a gay Christian, and they are celibate because they're theological conviction, or they are in a mixed orientation marriage. They're married to somebody of the opposite sex, and they still have those desires, but they're still a Christian. And that's what they mean when they say gay Christian. So number one, it's confusing to people because, you know, which side of the conversation are you coming from? The other thing is, is that what does gay even mean? It's like the word homosexuality. It's a bit nebulous nowadays. Back in the 80s or 90s when you said, um, can homosexuals go to heaven? Like, or is homosexuality a sin? Um, Most people, you you know what they meant. But today, most people don't use that term anymore. Uh, Or if they do, it's very clinical. It's Mm. very academic. And it's also an umbrella word. So, like, my question is, when you say gay Christian, you know, does somebody mean somebody who's in a same-sex relationship or somebody who is celibate or somebody who is same-sex attracted but confused and is not sure what to do? They're still trying to right. process that. Um, that would be part of my com- my question uh, about the idea of gay Christian as well. What does that mean? But here's my thing. that I believe that the only thing that can separate us from God for eternity is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I think that any kind of sexual intimacy outside of marriage is a sin. Um, Does that automatically send you to hell? Well, all sin sends us to hell (laughs) and Jesus has saved us. Right. Okay. But if somebody professes Christ and they're doing that, are they automatically going to go to hell? I don't want to judge anybody else's salvation. I just try to teach with the Bible teachers, but at the same time, I will say this. I do not know that person's heart. I, when they put their head on their pillow at nighttime, I don't know what God is doing in there. I don't right. know how God is turning the gears. And I and I really have a hard time believing that if somebody came to faith in Christ, that all of a sudden they have lost it. Right. I truly believe that when somebody comes to faith in Christ, they are saved. Right. And I, I don't see the prodigal son ever stop being his father's son. Now, at the same time... Um, you know, God does know the beginning from the end. He knows what will happen to that person. Mm. You know, at in the very end, he knows how their story will wrap up. We don't. And yeah. so um, I do believe it's a sin, but I think we have to be very careful. And I know you're not asking this, but I think we ha- a lot of people think this. We have to be very careful about asking, is this person going to go to heaven or hell? Right. Um, we need to be careful about that. And we need to start asking different questions like, um, how can I help this person have a healthier relationship with God? How can I help this person take their next step towards Jesus? What role do you think the church has played 
over the last, let's just say 50 years, because I don't want to say throughout history because that'd be too much of an up and down narrative, right? So let's just say over the last 30 years even, what role has the church played in um, what seems to be, uh, this is going to be a strong word, but I'm trying to use it appropriately, but what seems to be an ignorant viewpoint from the Christian, um, you know, person, the Christian individual, what seems to be mass, maybe ignorance around this, um, therefore kind of these negative reactions toward this type of conversation. Yeah, I think I think Christians, a.k.a. the church, have played a huge role in this, yeah. um, especially when you get into the 80s or 90s. You know, we have to work really hard to be intentional. You know, yeah. our it takes a lot of effort to think deeper about people. Kind of like what you read the quote, we need to think deeper about people, not differently about theology. Uh, I read this one book, I can't remember the name of it, but um, I think it was Charles Duhigg or Duhigg or whatever his name was. I'm not even saying it right, so I'm going to (laughs) stop. Sounds like I'm saying Dwight Schrute. But um, it was a book on habits, and basically he said that that we make something like 30,000 or more decisions every day from putting one foot in front of the other to what we're going to wear that our mind goes on autopilot. It wants to train us or train itself to make automatic decisions without, without even thinking about it. Therefore, I think it's easier for us to categorize somebody when we don't understand them. Mm. Um, you know, one of my best, one of my favorite definitions of fear comes from one of my favorite authors, novelist, uh, mystery writer, Agatha Christie. And she said that fear, um, uh, fear is basically a lack of knowledge. Hmm. Fear is sure. a lack yeah. of knowledge that yeah. we naturally fear whatever it is that we don't understand or makes us feel threatened and out of control. Right. And so for me, the opposite of that is leaning into a relationship with God who knows yeah. everything and is all powerful. And so, um, it is quite easy for us to categorize people out of fear to not want to think deeper about them. It's a lot harder for us to lean into the conversation. And so I think that in the past, the church has done a very, the Western church that is, has done a very poor job of really leaning into conversations about people and getting to know people, asking them. And I think that I I will say that as in the last five years or so, I have seen a lot of changes in the church. There's obviously a growing trend that's concerning towards progressive Christianity, but um, there are a lot of really solid churches that are asking really good questions. How can we come alongside people? How can we love people? And I I wish, obviously, the Western church had been asking a lot of those questions beforehand, but I'm glad that they're doing it now. Yeah, and I I believe that that can easily go both ways. That can go in the way of the Christian individual who is— uh, sitting there has no experience with um, maybe ever even talking to a gay person, um, any individual that they have uh, that may be in that community um, where there's some fear out of what they just don't know about it. And I, I believe the church kind of plays a role and has played a role in that, too, of um like really leaning into the fact of like this is sin and we need to be um uh, you know against sin and we need to be fearful of satan coming in and stealing our purity and and all these things and all probably all kinds of sin conversations but then also it kind of goes the other way doesn't it with like Mm -hmm. fear of the unknown of the church Mm -hmm. and the kind of this headline church mentality where um, well, did you know this church did this? Well, did you hear about this church over here doing this? And there's Christians sitting here with our hands up in the air going, but that's not our church. 
You know, I right. don't know. So it kind of goes both ways where um, when we don't when you don't know something, you had that lack of information or lack of knowing fear can creep in uh, and how you view that. Um, so I want to um, ask I want to talk about the cultural conversation right now. So societal conversation. Um, there is no doubt that especially within um, the trans community, there is a huge um, conversation and push, um, culturally speaking, uh, for uh, equal rights and um, education. And um, I don't know what other of the, how to qualify the conversations otherwise, but there's no doubt that this is a huge conversation for all organizations. It's something that teens, um, you know, even down to young kids, uh, adults, everyone is being confronted with this through social media, all these other places. So I'll, instead of having the reaction of, can you believe that here's where we are? You know, the, this would have never happened 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Instead of having that, I'm tempted to redeem the situation and say and ask, what's what good is going to come out of this being such a big push in our country now. So what good can come out of us being confronted with a group of individuals who are very passionate about um, their chosen lifestyle or however they feel about whatever they want to do, their, their rights, their thoughts, their um, ideas, anything. Um, we're, we're being pushed into the conversation. It's, it's a, a confrontation of sorts. So what good can come out of this for our country. Yeah. I I wish more people would have that viewpoint. Because again, it's 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 easy to go to the negative. Right. Like sociologically speaking, even psychologically speaking, I think that we are wired to go towards the negative. And I don't know if that's a self-defensive posture or what, but we just are. Um I I I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to churches and they don't realize they're going towards the negative, but they are the number of Christians. And I've heard this so often where it's like, wow, doesn't it seem like everything is progressing right. really fast in society? Right. And on the one hand, I want to say, well, did you know that it's not really fast? This has been happening for years now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we've just been doing other things. Right. We haven't been paying attention. So this is not fast. We just, some of us have woken up. On the other hand, I want to say, you know, instead of um, cowering in fear, talking about Christians being arrested and all this other ridiculous mumbo right. jumbo right now, right. Um, what we need to do is, you know, asking ask what opportunity has God given us right. in this? Because I think you can look at it as an obstacle as an obstacle or as an opportunity from the Lord. Right. And so. Um, in, in one of the sessions I did today, I did talk about the Apostle Paul and how he was able to shift his posture, not his theology, but his posture, depending on who he preached to, whether it was the Athenian philosophers or the um, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. Right. Jesus spoke differently to the woman at the well than he did Nicodemus. And so here are two examples of people who are able to shift their posture and really like be able to engage whatever person they were talking to, whatever the culture that they were in and still leverage the conversation for the Lord. And so that's, right. that's what I think we need to be able to do in this culture. So I think you're spot on. It's going to leave me in my last question. We made it. We're at we the made end it. here. Here we go. So going back and kind of tying in where we started, what would you like to see out of the church 
in the next five years? Let's let's fast forward five years of your personal ministry, speaking, consulting, uh, writing books, um, being engrossed in this very conversation for the next five years. If you could push a button, if you will, you know, if you could say, I'd love to see this change out of the church in five years, what do you think that would be? I would like to see churches being more intentional about engaging individuals coming into their um, their midst, their gatherings, uh, whether it's LGBTQ individuals, whether it's in, in some areas of the country, whether it's people of other races, other ethnicities, whether it's uh, people from different jobs, or maybe this is appropriate, people who vote for candidates that a majority mm. of the people in the congregation would never have voted for. <laughs> right. I would like to see more intentionality towards engagement and understanding of other people. Um, I would also like to see um, more of a, a robust commitment to truth. Mm. Um, not only truth about what God says about sexuality, but I think some people forget that when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that is as much truth as what Jesus says about sex, lust, all that kind of stuff. Right. And some of the times we separate it between grace and truth. And I understand that. I do that too. It's an easy way to explain that tension. But we still have to remember that um, that, that kind of truth is God's truth. And so I would like to see uh, churches um, be more committed to truth in general, just all around. Right. Because I do think that, there, that as the years go on, we will see... Um, more shift within the larger church on this issue. Um, I don't know. Personally, yeah. I think that it could turn out to be more like the abortion conversation within churches where probably you have about half the people who are pro-life, half the people who are um, pro-choice. Um, but uh, I would like to see more intentionality towards engagement, and I would like to see more of a commitment to truth no matter what that truth is. Right. It's definitely an endeavor that's worth fighting for. It is. It's not something that has to happen next week either. No, no. Um, it's. I look at it like this. It's in the process of happening. Right. It, through conversations like this. Yeah. It's in the process of happening when somebody decides to let their son and his partner come to Thanksgiving dinner. Hmm. Yeah. Like, and says, well, you know, that person will never be in my house. Well, they open up their house and they realize that... Hmm. They're blessed for the sake of others, not instead of others. Right. Um, and I understand the emotions that can be attached some of the times to that conversation, but I just think that's super important. Right. Thank you so much for sitting with me. We're going to be praying for you. I know you got uh, sessions tonight to go. I've yeah. literally, if you're listening, I've literally taken up every minute up until uh, he's going to be talking in probably like seven minutes over on the stage <laughs> across the church. But um, no, I appreciate you sitting and, uh, sitting and talking about this stuff. Um, our church is better because of the conversation. Well, so. thanks for having me, dude. It's been fun. Thanks for listening, and make sure to find Caleb online at calebcaltonbach.com. That's K-A-L-T-E-N-B-A-C-H. And uh, you can also find him on Instagram at Caleb Wilds, uh, where you can catch up and, and keep up with what's going on there. Uh, also, don't forget to check out Messy Truth. Um, I'm sure that is wherever you can find books uh, around you, where however you read them or buy them or whatever. Make sure to do that uh, and continue this conversation uh, that we've been having today. 
Also, as Grace Pointers, we know that we always want to show and share Jesus in everyday conversation with everyday people. Live sent.